Guys, it's good to be with you today. My name is Matt Carter, and I'm the pastor of preaching here at the Austin Stone. And, and uh, if you're new here, what we do at the Austin Stone is we go verse by verse through the Bible. Um, and we are kind of coming to the end of the book of First Peter. I'm going to kind of pick up real quickly where we left off last week, which is First Peter chapter 4, verse 19. And then we're going to jump quickly into chapter 5 today. And what Peter did last week was he makes the statement, look, suffering's coming. The last thing you want to do in your life is suffer more because of your own sin. But then he kind of lands the plane on this idea of suffering, which he's written about through the whole book. And he says, look, the thing you need to understand is that you can trust God in the midst of your suffering, that God is trustworthy in the midst of your suffering. And then what he's going to do in chapter five is something kind of interesting. He turns, and after this whole letter on basically suffering unjustly, suffering and the will of God, suffering because of your sin, he kind of turns and he starts talking to the elders or the leaders of this young church. And so let me read this to you together today. First Peter uh, 4, 19, so we looked at last week. Peter said, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And now he turns and starts speaking to the elders, the leadership of this church. He goes, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness the suffering of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And so in a nutshell, here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, look, in light of the fact that we can entrust our souls to God in the midst of suffering, He looks at the elders and say, elders, you need to make absolutely certain that the church can trust you in the midst of their suffering. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk for a little bit about eldership, about the leadership of the church. And and I want to say this because this is not one of those sermons that at the end of it, you're going to be just crying and weeping and going, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. You're not going to be just jumping for joy because I want to spend some time and I want to talk about this group of people that God ordained to lead in his church. And so hopefully you'll walk out of here. It'll be informative to you. You'll have a better understanding about how God set up this thing called the church. And then also you'll be more informed about what you're looking for in a church for you to plug into and jump into and follow the leadership of these things the Lord calls elders. All right. Now, first of all, it's important to understand, excuse me, that the word elder Um, does not necessarily mean somebody that's older in the church, but it refers to a position of spiritual leadership in the church whose qualification really has nothing to do with their age and it has everything to do with their character. All right, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you've been around the stone for a while, you've probably noticed something that we don't have like a senior pastor of our church. We don't have a single guy that's kind of the leader of the church and everybody follows him. You go to a lot of churches out there and they'll have that. They'll have like a lead pastor or a senior pastor and he's the guy and all the staff and all the other deacons and all the other people, they just follow whatever it is that he says. But they hear at the stone, it's a little different. You don't hear us talking about a single leader, but you hear us talking about elders or a plurality of leadership, right? And there's some biblical, pretty strong biblical evidence for the leaders of a church not being a single man, but a group of qualified leaders. And so let me read this to you, Acts 14, 21. This is talking about Paul. <clears throat> He's preaching. Watch what happens. He says, after they had preached the gospel to that city, 
and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 23. He says, when they had appointed elders, plural, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, in every church, right? Every single time, every single solitary time that you see the Bible talking about elders in the context of being appointed into leadership, it's always used in the plural, it's always, right? And there's some wisdom in that. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, of having a plurality of leadership because usually when there's just one person, one man, one leader, then a lot of control, uh, you know, problems can come out of that if they have all the power and all the control. And so leaders are supposed to be in the context of plurality. Now I want to talk for a minute about what are these group of leaders supposed to be doing in the church? How are they supposed to be leading the church? Well, Paul tells us, 1 Timothy 5, 17, he says this. <laughs> he says, the elders, plural, who rule well, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so one of the things the Bible teaches us as Paul is talking about what elders are supposed to be doing, how they're leading the church, is they're supposed to, one of their primary roles is to preach and teach. As a matter of fact, Paul says that's gotta be one of the qualifications of an elder. They've got to have that gift. They've gotta be able to teach. Now that brings us to a question. It's like, what is it that the elders are supposed to be teaching. People are showing up, an elder, a qualified leader is supposed to be teaching them and preaching to them. What is it that I as an elder am supposed to be teaching and preaching to you? Well, 1 Corinthians 4.1 tells us. <clears throat> Again, this is Paul speaking. And he's speaking to church leaders here. He says, this is how one should regard us. Okay, speaking to church leadership in the church in Corinth, he says, hey, when people are thinking about you, when they're regarding you, when they're looking at what you're doing, this is how they ought to think about you, church leader. He says, this is how one should regard us as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. Paul said, when, they're, when, when, the, when the church is looking at you, we're thinking about what you're doing and seeing what you're doing, this is what they ought to see. They don't see a rock star They don't see a guy building a platform. They look at a guy that is a servant of Christ and someone that is stewarding to them the mysteries of God. Now, that's one of the main reasons here at Stone that we preach verse by verse. Have you ever wondered why we do it? This is one of the main reasons we do it. It's because you look at so many pastors out there in the culture, and here's what I'm seeing. You'll see guys that are great communicators, but when they come up and they take that 30, 35, 40 minutes and they preach to their congregation, they're preaching a thousand things, but the last thing they're doing is just opening up God's word and teaching you the inexhaustible mysteries of God in his word. And here's the thing I want you to understand. The men that are on this stage, okay, our job is not to be your life coach. It's not to be your life coach. I hope you learn stuff about life when we're teaching, but that's not our primary biblical role. Our job is is not to be a motivational speaker. I mean, hopefully you're motivated when we preach, but that's not our primary biblical role. Our job's not to be a comedian. That's not our primary biblical role, okay? An elder, the people teaching from the the pulpit, our God-given role is to open up the Bible and to dive deep into the vast and unsearchable riches of his word and then teach them to you. 
Now, here at the downtown campus, guys, there's a lot of college students, a lot of young singles. And a lot of you guys, the fact of the matter is, you're probably not gonna stay in Austin the rest of your life. I know that you probably want to, and that's awesome because it's the best town in the world. But the odds are you're gonna get a job somewhere else, Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, New York, wherever, and you're gonna go. And hopefully one of the things you're gonna do when you get there is you're gonna be looking for a church. Where can you plug in? Where can you invest your life? And this is the thing I want you to look for when you go look for one. I want you to look, one of the first things I want you to look for is what are they teaching from the pulpit of that church? What are they teaching? Okay, don't, don't land at a church where the vast majority of what's coming out of the guy's mouth from the pulpit is like five steps to a better dot, dot, dot. Five steps to better life. Five steps to better time management. You know, five steps to better work-life balance. Five steps to better sex, whatever. If you see that, that's all he's teaching. Just move on, try something else. Because what you're looking for in a church is a group of biblically qualified leaders who love the Lord, They're passionate about Jesus. And then what's coming out of their mouth, whether it's in a small group or whether it's in an equipping class or whether it's from the pulpit, is not their opinion, it's not their their thoughts on stuff, but it is the wisdom of God from his word. That's what you're looking for. So that's, that's our role number one, is to teach and preach God's word to you. Here's another one. It's the role of the elder, the leader of the local church, to defend sound doctrine to defend sound doctrine. What do I mean by that? Well, Titus uh, chapter one, verse nine, Paul is speaking. He's given the qualifications of the elder and watch what he says. He says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And so what Paul's saying is, look, we came to you, we taught you God's word, we came to you, we wrote to you God's word by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What an elder's gotta do is he's gotta hold fast to what it is that we taught them, the word of God. And then it continues there, and he said, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, why? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And again, one of the primary responsibilities of an elder or leader of a church is somebody that can teach sound doctrine, but then also rebuke incorrect doctrine when it enters into the church. And that was obviously what was going on in some of the first century churches. You know, Paul and them, they came into the church in Corinth. They came into the church in Ephesus. They taught them sound doctrine. And then people would come in behind them and teach them things that were contrary to the word of God. And it was a job of the elder to come in and be so equipped in that doctrine that they could refute and rebuke the people that were teaching them incorrect doctrine. Now, that looks different ways in the church. I've messed up on this some. I'll tell you a story happened a couple years ago. I was... uh, I was on Twitter, which I confessed to you last week that I hate with all my heart. And this is story is one of the reasons I hate it with all my heart. But I was on Twitter and there was a pretty famous pastor that was tweeting. And this is what he said in his tweet. He said, you have to give God permission before he can move powerfully in your life. And I read that and then I went, wait a minute, let me go get my glasses. So I went and got my glasses, put it on. What, did he really just say that? You have to give God permission in order for him to move power, powerfully in your life. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And so I need to respond to this. And um, here's what I wanted to respond. What I wanted to respond was, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's not sound doctrine. Have you ever heard of the road to Damascus? 
Paul was, you know, riding his horse down the road to Damascus and Jesus shows up in a cloud, knocks him off his horse, shines in a bright light, blinds him, tells him what to do. And Paul's response was, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Okay, Paul never got permission to get knocked off the horse. Jesus just knocked him off the horse. But I didn't write that. I just wrote, um, I just wrote, this is profoundly unbiblical. That's all I wrote. And um, I got a response on Twitter, you know, and the response I got was mostly, I got a lot of things, but mostly it was like, now, Pastor Carter, you're being judgmental. I heard that a lot. You're being judgmental. You shouldn't tell other pastors what's right and what's wrong. That was kind of some of the, a lot of the response I got. But in hindsight, honestly, they're probably right. I don't think that it's my job as a local church elder to go around on Twitter, you know, correcting bad doctrine on the internet. That would take a lot of my time if I did that. But one of the things that the scripture is saying, not, not me, but the Bible, is that it is my job, it is my role, it is the role of the elders of the Austin Stone to correct unsound doctrine when it enters into the Austin Stone Community Church. And it has, many ways and many times over the years. Look, look at this, 2 Timothy 4.1. <coughs> what, what Paul is saying to Timothy, who was an elder of the church, watch what he says. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. Now, I want, I'm not gonna hang out here and teach this much, but I want, you to, I want you to notice just how seriously Paul is taking this charge he's about to give young Timothy about how he leads the church. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Paul's saying, you better listen, brother, because I got something serious to say. And then watch what he says next. What, what in the world, Paul, are you about to tell Timothy that you're charging him by the name of God and the name of Jesus and by his coming, by his appearing? Watch what he says in verse two. He says, preach the word. Preach the word. Don't give them garbage. Don't give them your thoughts. Preach the Bible, punk. He didn't say that. He says, preach the word. And then this, watch, he says, be ready in season and out of season to do what? What am I to be ready in season and out of season to do? He says, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort, great patience and instruction. And so why is Paul telling Timothy, you've gotta be ready in season and out of season to reprove and rebuke and exhort? Why is is Paul telling Timothy to be ready to do that as a pastor? In verse three, he tells him, He says, for the time will come when they, that's the church, people in the church, will not endure sound doctrine. There's coming a day when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Paul's saying, Timothy, you gotta preach the word, man. You've gotta be in the word. You've gotta be ready to rebuke and exhort. Here's why, because there's coming a day where people are gonna hear sound doctrine. They're not gonna like it. And so what they're gonna do is they're gonna gather for themselves teachers that tickle their ears and don't teach them the sound doctrine, but teach them what they want to hear. And so he says, you gotta be ready for that. The elders have to be ready for that. And honestly, guys, I mean, I think that might, that time maybe has, has come. I mean, listen, our, our generation, our generation, 
we are wholesale walking away from doctrines that have stood the test of 2,000 years of scrutiny. Talking about 2,000 years of some of the most brilliant people that have ever walked to the face, the face of the earth, Luther and Calvin and Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon, and I could, and I could go on and on and on and on that have looked at the Bible and studied the Bible and, and seen different texts in the word of God and says, that's what that says. Yes, I agree with the last 2,000 years of history. That's what that means. And then our generation comes along and says, oh, y'all are a bunch of idiots. I got it all wrong. We're gathering for ourselves teacher that have kind of flushed down 2,000 years of church history down the toilet and said, that's not what it really means. Here's what it really means. And so one of the jobs of an elder, maybe, maybe now more than ever, maybe, is to know what is sound doctrine? What is the Bible teaching? What are the mysteries of God? And not only be able to teach them, but also be able to see what is unsound doctrine and be able to go, that's not it. It's a protection that God offers the church. And so, roles of the elder, one, we've gotta be able to teach doctrine, and two, we ought to know it well enough we can defend it. And so, here at the Austin Stone, when we are training elders, we don't just look at guys and be like, hey man, you love Jesus? Yeah, how old are you, 30? All right, you're in, let's go. That's not what we do. We look at men that are fulfilling the role of elder without the title, we see, we look for leaders who are loving their wives well and their families well, loving, serving the church, um, living for Christ, and then we train them for a year. And then one of the things we do, two of the things we do in that training, the vast majority of that time is built doing two things. One is that we examine their character in ways that it's never been examined before in their lives, and the other thing we do is we teach doctrine. So regardless of the situation, small group, um, home, church, pulpit, wherever, conversation, they're able to teach sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it, okay? So that's the second role. Here's the third one. Another role of the elder is church discipline. It's church discipline. And this is kind of a touchy subject because not many churches do it, honestly. And here at the Stone, when we do it, we do it slowly, we do it carefully because we realize we're sinners just like everybody else. Let me talk about church discipline for a second. 1 Corinthians 5.1 Paul speaking to church in Corinth, he says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And so what was happening here is that you had this guy who was sleeping probably with his stepmother, and he was completely unrepentant of it. He was unrepentant of it. And Paul's writing the church in Corinth, is like, look, man, that's dirty. You got to stop doing that. The Gentiles aren't even that dirty. And then he goes on and he says, here's the deal. Here's what's happening next. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled and I with you in the spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, he says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now there's two things he just said. He says, look, you gotta get this guy out of the church. He's walking in unrepentant sexual sin. Unrepentant sexual sin, you need to remove him from the church. There's two reasons you remove him. Number one is that you remove him from the protection of the body of Christ so that Satan can have his way with him. And so what Paul is saying here is that there's obviously some sort of 
protection that happens and occurs to people who are engaged in the body of Christ. There's a protection there. And what happens is when you remove yourself from the body of Christ or you're removed from the body of Christ, then Satan has a greater access to you that he didn't have before. Paul says, get him out of the protection of the church and Satan will destroy his flesh. So maybe he will repent and actually go to heaven. So that's, that's the first thing. And then the second thing he says, which is a fascinating verse, in verse six, he says, your boasting is not good, for do you know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? And so obviously the church was not mourning about this unrepentant sin in their midst. And he goes, you need to understand something. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. He's talking about sin there. He's saying, because we are a body, we're all connected, we're one body. One of the things you need to realize, individual church members, is that your sin affects the entire church. And everybody sins, but if you have somebody who will not repent, you gotta remove them because somehow, some way, that affects the body of Christ. And so one of the things, one of the, one of the primary roles of an elder, number one, is that we, are, we gotta make sure we're repenting of our own sin. We gotta be the chief repenters in our church. And the other thing is that we're also ensuring that the body of Christ is also repenting of theirs. We had a guy here at the Stone years ago, just one story. We had a guy that, um, he, from all our appearance, was an amazing guy. He was an older gentleman and been married forever and was, was a great um, guy from everything we tell. And it kind of came out that he was having an affair on his wife. And so one of our elders came to him and asked him to repent, and he refused. And so what we did, biblically, is we brought a group of elders to him and said, look, man, you gotta, you gotta go back to your wife. You gotta end this affair you need to repent, turn to the Lord, stop walking in sin. He refused to do it. We, we waited, gave it some more time, got a different group of elders, came in, said the same thing, refused to repent, refused to leave that lady. And so we wrote a letter to our members, to our partners, told them the situation, then we removed him from our fellowship. And it was interesting, some of the response we got, because that was really, was several years ago, that was the first time at the Austin Sun that we actually exercise this church discipline because we had this guy that refused to repent of his sin. And it was interesting, some of the response we got, some of the response was like, Matt, that's, that's not very kind. That's not very gracious. That's kind of cruel. You should never kick anybody out of the church. But here's the thing. One, the Bible commands us to, but I want you to think about it in this way. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, again, Paul's speaking. He's talking about church leadership. And listen to what he says. In 4.15, he says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. Now, here's what he's talking about. He's saying this. He's saying, church, more than just spiritual teachers in your life, you also need spiritual fathers. You need more than just people stepping up on a stage and telling you about Jesus. You need people walking along beside of you and acting in the role of a spiritual father to you. And what do good fathers do, church? They discipline their kids. If their kids are just going crazy and they never discipline, they're not good fathers. I'll give you an example. So um, I've got three kids. My oldest is 17, I got a 15-year-old girl, and then I've got a 12-year-old boy named Sammy. And when he was little, he had a problem He's grown out of it, thank God, but he had a problem when he was about three as he loved taking his clothes off and running around places in public. That was one of his favorite things to do. 
And I was at a chiropractor one time, and my wife, I was back in scene, and my wife was in the lobby, and my chiropractor and I were buds, and he asked me, he goes, man, how's, how's everybody doing? I was like, great. And he said, how's Sammy? And I said, Sammy's great. I said, but here's the thing about Sammy. And I was like, you remember when you were in college? He's like, yeah. I was like, you know how, like, in every group of guys in college, there's always a naked guy? Have you ever, I was like, you ever noticed that? He's like, there's one guy in every group. You go to a party, you go to the beach, he's taking his clothes off. I was like, I'm, I'm worried about Sammy. He's kind of that guy. He's kind of the naked guy. True story before the Lord. You can ask my wife if you think I'm making this up. Right as I said that, Sammy came running by, buck naked. And the chiropractor goes, just like that little kid right there? I was like, that's my son. Now, here's the question. Do I, did I discipline my son? Because I could have just laughed it off because it was hilarious, right? I could have just laughed it off, but I didn't. I disciplined my son. Why? Why did I discipline him? Because I did not want three-year-old naked guy Sammy turning into 18-year-old naked guy Sammy. Yeah, you can clap for that. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. It's like, stop the nakedness. Yes. But the point, the point is this, is that that's kind of how God set this thing up. Nobody likes discipline, but God set this thing up so that we would have qualified men that love Jesus, that are repenting in their own life, so that they could come along beside us and help us finish well with Christ Jesus. Okay, now that come, brings us to kind of an, an interesting place, a crossroads, and that's, okay, Matt, in an ideal world, that sounds great, but we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a world where men are sinful. You know, and how many stories have we all heard of men that have used the church for their own personal gain and abused their power and hurt people that God has entrusted to them? And, and, uh, and we could all tell stories like that. And maybe you're like, Matt, I, here's the thing. What is keeping me from engaging in the church, what's keeping me from jumping in is because I don't know if I am willing to submit my life to a group of flawed men. And if, if that's where you're at, I want to just say a couple of things to you. <clears throat> and I'm not saying this to be mean or whatever. I say this as a dad. But if that's kind of where you're at, is you're, you're not following God's plan for your life because you're afraid of what might happen. I think at the end of the day, probably what you're saying is, God, I know better about how to run my life than you do. So that's kind of one. But here's the other thing I would say is that just because some leaders have abused their spiritual authority does not mean that leadership is evil and that we don't need it in our lives. But this is the other thing I would say. What it does mean is that leaders that God has placed in our lives must be worthy of that leadership. They must be worthy of that leadership. Okay, for God to entrust his children, his sons and daughters to a group of earthly leaders, those earthly leaders must be held to a higher standard of integrity and character than just anybody. Okay, and that's why Peter, when he, he's been talking for chapters about suffering, about all the stuff and how they can walk during suffering, and then all of a sudden he stops and he looks at the leaders of the church. He's like, all right, boys, you need to hear this. And he lays into them and he says this. He says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you, your fellow elder and the witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed. Peter's saying, look, I've been there. I'm an elder myself. I've suffered with Jesus. I'm gonna be there beside you next to Christ on the throne. So here's what I gotta say to you, boys. In verse two, he says, here's what you need to do. Shepherd the flock of God among you. 
Shepherd the flock of God among you. Elders, leaders, this is what your people need more than anything else, shepherd them. And I have no doubt in my mind that he's, he's making reference back to the day where Jesus met Peter on the beach after Peter had denied Christ three times. Peter had failed Jesus miserably, denied he knew him three times, and the rooster crowed, and Peter wept bitterly, and Peter takes off. Jesus was risen from the grave, and Peter said, I'm out, I'm going fishing, I'm going back to what I know. And they were out fishing all night, and the scripture says that when the sun was coming up over the mountains, they looked up, and there was a guy sitting on the beach, and John said, hey, I think that's Jesus. And it hit Peter in that moment that he may have run from Christ, but Christ wasn't running from him, and Peter threw himself into the water swam back to the beach and when he got there Jesus had made a charcoal fire and cooked Peter breakfast and Jesus looked at Peter and said Peter I want to know something do you love me Peter said yeah Jesus you know that I love you and then Jesus said all right here's what I want you to do go feed my sheep and then he asked again Peter do you love me Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, okay, then this is what I need you to do. I need you, Peter, to go feed my sheep. The the church is about to be formed. The church of God is about to be birthed. We're just a few weeks away from the Holy Spirit of God coming and 3,000 people getting saved and there to be this New Testament church that would stand and thrive until Jesus comes back. And the thing that he told Peter, one of the leaders of this young church is about to be born. He didn't say, hey, here's what I need you to do. Go out and be a CEO to my people. He didn't say, hey, Peter, go out and and lead my people like a politician or a military general or a manager. He says, Peter, what I need you to do is I want you to go shepherd the flock of God. Be a shepherd to them. Love the sheep. Care for the sheep. Protect the sheep. Feed the sheep. In verse 2, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you. And then it's if like he knows the propensity of men to abuse their power. Watch what he says next. He says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. That phrase right there, according to the will of God, it it can be translated in the way that God does it. And so what Peter's saying is, hey, I do not want you to do this, elders, because you have to. I want you to do it because you're called to. And when you do it, I I want you to lead the people of God the way God leads his people. That's the calling. And then he goes on. And he says, he says, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. He's saying, as you lead the church, don't do it to get rich. Don't do it to get famous. Don't do it to build a platform. You do it because the Lord has called you to do it. And, and, and you can't think of anything better in your life to do than give your life away serving the church. And then watch the last thing he says. Verse three, he says, nor yet as lording over it, those allotted to your charge. That word allotted means given to. Peter's saying, you don't lord over the church, the people that God gave you. And he finishes, but he said, and this is like the key thing here. Hang with us, we're kind of almost done, hang with me. Peter says, but proving to be examples to the flock. Peter said, hey, If you want to know what biblical leadership in the local church looks like, this is it. He goes, you don't lord it over the people. You don't lord your position over the people. You be an example to the flock of God. In other words, what he's saying to the church leadership is you don't lead the church by saying, hey, I'm the pastor. You do what I tell you to do. He's saying that you lead your people by living your life in such a way 
that if a light were shined in every area of your life and people could see what your life is like behind closed doors, they would see your life and they would say, that's an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that's why when Paul was listing the qualifications of eldership, he gave one ability, one thing they had to be able to do, and that was teach, one ability. And then he listed 14 character qualities 14 character qualities that elders had to have in their life in order to serve. Here's why. Here's why he does that. Because one of the, listen, one of the primary ways that I am called to lead you as a church is to point you to, as an under-shepherd, I'm called, is to point you to the chief shepherd. And through my life, say, that this is what... This is what the love and the leadership of the chief shepherd looks like as I lead you. And I'll tell you something. I just wanna pause right here, I'm gonna say that again. One of the primary ways that I'm supposed to lead as a pastor, as an under shepherd, is for me to live in such a way that you can look at my life and see through my leadership and example, what the leadership and example of the chief shepherd looks like. Now here's the problem with that statement. I haven't done that very well. And when this, this week, I, you know, I write my sermon out and, and when I wrote that line, I, I want you to know something, when I wrote that line, it just came out. And I don't know that I can ever remember being more convicted just personally of a line I wrote in a sermon than that one. Because I can honestly say to you guys, I think I can honestly say before the Lord that I have strived and fought to be a man of integrity and character. But I can all, you know, honestly also say that I have put way more effort into becoming the best preacher that I could be than I have being the best representation of the chief shepherd that I can be. And the thing that I just kind of hear God screaming at me from the rooftops. And the thing that I hear God screaming at our eldership from the rooftops is that whatever days I have left in my life, that's gotta change. That whatever days I have left to lead this church, it's gotta change. Because guys, I'm telling you, I spent the first half of my life getting a doctorate in expositional preaching. And what I feel the Holy Spirit leading me to do is to spend whatever days I have left getting a doctorate and being an example to the flock of God. And I can't promise you guys, I cannot promise you we're never gonna fail you. I can't promise you that we're never gonna mess up, but here's what I will promise you today. This is what the, the elders of your church will promise you, that before we teach the Bible, I promise you that we will have already submitted our own hearts and been taught by our, ourselves under that, that teaching. I promise you that if we're gonna challenge you on your character, it's because we've already first been challenged on our character, and we will always continually be being challenged on our character by this plurality of leadership. I can promise you that if we're gonna call you to live your life on mission for God, it's because we are first living our life on mission with God. I can promise you that if, if we're gonna call you to not just be a consumer, but serve the body of Christ, it's because we first are serving the body of Christ. I promise you that if we're gonna call you to, to give of, of the finances that God has given you to expand the kingdom of God, it is because we first are being generous with the finances God has given us for the expansion of the kingdom of God. And lastly, I'll tell you this, 
I promise you that if we're gonna call you to repent, it's because we first have repented of our own sin. This, this call to be an example of the flock is, a, is an example we take very, very seriously. And here's why. Because of what Peter says last year. Let me read it to you. Look at verse one. Almost done. Therefore, I exalt the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. Peter says, here's why you gotta lead this way by being an example of the flock. He says in verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter says, shepherd the flock this way by being an example to the flock. Live in such a way that they know what the love and the leadership of the chief shepherd looks like. Why? Because there's coming a day where the chief shepherd's gonna appear. He said, there's coming a day where the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, he's gonna come busting through the clouds and these people aren't gonna need under shepherds any longer because the chief shepherd's gonna be there. And if you have led well, if you have led with faithfulness, what the scripture says is that the elders who have led well, they will receive, what's it called? An unfading crown of glory. And I don't know what that means, but that sure sounds cool to me. I want, I want one of those crowns. Can I just tell you all that? An unfading crown of glory. Can you imagine what that would be like when, you, when he appears and your, your faith is now sight in Jesus? Jesus puts a crown, unfading glory on your head. I want to experience that. And I also want to experience what it would be like to take that crown off and lay it at his feet and say, Jesus, this is all because of you. I know the elders of this church, I know them really well. And here's what I can promise you. We're gonna fail you. But I want you to know something. These men love Jesus. They love Jesus. And the greatest desire of their heart is to point you to the one who will never fail you, which is Jesus. And so if you're at that place and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if God's calling me um, to jump into this church or not. What if we just trusted God's plan and we jumped in this thing together and trusted God through all of it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for its clarity and its power. And Lord, I wanna pray for all of us, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the wisdom and the clarity that we need as elders, God, to lead the way you would have us and as the flock of God to have the strength and the power and the courage to humble ourselves to be able to do that. God, all the time, look into you, Jesus, as the chief shepherd, the one that never fails us, the one that never lets us down. And God, I pray that we would be a great example to the flock of God. We'd be a great example to the world of what all this is supposed to look like and that you'd be glorified until the day that you return. We ask these things today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church, let's stand together. Let's worship him today.